0: Like, nothing changes in your house, right? Like, the furniture doesn't change. So it has this subconscious way of Mm. making you feel like you can't change, you know? On the flip side of that, novel experiences, novel scenery, novel inputs can help you generate novel thoughts. Mm. Novel environments can help you generate novel thoughts. Mm.
1: What up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Max McCoy, and this is Looking Up. I am so excited about today's episode. I'm joined by Max Lugavir. Max is a two-time best-selling author. He wrote Genius Foods and The Genius Life. Both are books that go in-depth on how we can optimize and protect our brains and bodies through things like diet and lifestyle. He also hosts one of the leading, if not the leading, health and wellness podcast called The Genius Life. And he's essentially just a, a leading thought leader in this space of health and wellness, particularly how we can optimize our diet for, you know cognitive performance. And normally when I have an author on the show, we talk about the contents of their book and we kind of unpack it together. But for this episode, it's a little different. I know Max's work pretty well, but also I have a unique relationship with Max. I've had the pleasure of working with Max directly, helping him produce his podcast. And so for this episode, we talk about kind of the making of Max Lugavir. We talk about how he got to where he is today and his advice for us as he reflects on the amazing career he's had and he's built for himself. So this is a very wide-ranging conversation. We go in a lot of different directions, but I, I really loved it and I hope you love it too. We talk about how he got to where he is today, the journey to becoming a two-time best-selling author and one of the top podcasters in the world. We talk about his advice for people in the early stages of their career. As you guys know, I'm only 25 and so I'm in the early stages of my career. So I picked his brain around that and how to step into a path that we are really passionate about. We talk about his spiritual beliefs we talk about uh, his advice on foods we can eat to optimize our cognitive functioning that's kind of his quintessential um, area of expertise we talk about that of course and we talk about his advice on finding the truth behind all the noise whether it's in regards to diet or anything else such a great talk i admire max and his work so much but i really just admire him as a human everything he does comes from a place of genuine passion and the desire to help people. And I've learned a lot from him. I've learned a lot from him beyond this podcast, but I was really stoked to be able to sit him down and finally have him on my show. So I think there's a ton of value in here for anyone looking to find you know, their own unique path and direction as Max has. If there's someone to take advice from, Max Lugavere is the guy to listen to. And so share this podcast with someone who might like it. Make sure you leave a review on Apple iTunes. Thank you for tuning into to my show. It means the world to me. There are so many shows you could be listening to. So thank you for stopping by. And uh, without further ado, here's my chat with the best-selling author of Genius Foods and The Genius Life, Max Lugavere. Dude, Max, this is fun. So fun. We're in your studio right now. I can't believe I'm, uh, I'm sitting on... The guest side where i've filmed so many podcasts
0: (laughs) dude it's been such a pleasure getting to know you getting to work with you getting to uh you know experience your creative genius and um and you've really added so much to my podcast so Mm. just eternally grateful and and, um yeah man i celebrate you
1: thanks man it's a very full circle day for me because when i moved here i'm thinking back to like october you were one of the people that I was like, I would love to work with Max Lugavere. Oh my like, I remember I was working with David Nurse and uh he was like, Oh yeah, you gotta work with Max, man. Like he's doing so many great things and I'm like, I loved your work and uh yeah, to have you on my podcast, it's full circle moment, and it's been a it's been a pleasure. Of
0: course, man. Yeah, you've uh you've worked with David Aaron. Those are all solid dudes, really solid dudes. Yeah,
1: I've been very lucky. So you've written two best selling books. Uh you have a very Special career where were like going back. Where were you when you were like my age? 25 years old. Oh, Jesus. What What'd your career look like? Because uh, you look at where you are now and you're like It seems so designed, but I'm sure it wasn't that way.
0: No, definitely not um, I want my first job out of college. I got really lucky. Well, I, I seized an incredible opportunity and I took a big risk um, in doing so I was an undergraduate at University of Miami, double majoring in film and psychology, and I caught wind of a TV network that was being launched by former US VP Al Gore. And uh, as a filmmaker, I was making this undergraduate student project that I, you know, I sort of was doing as an independent study, and I sent it over to them, and I ended up getting this uh, dream job where I was hosting and producing content for a national TV network called Current TV, and that was when I was about twenty two is when I when I got that job. Um, and I did that for five or six years. So thankfully, I was still working for Current TV when I was 25. Um, and it was an incredible opportunity. I wasn't getting paid very much. I remember my first year salary was $30,000, which, um, you know, was enough. I had a roommate and it was enough to live in Hollywood and, and basically just to get by. Second year, I, I think I got like a raise up to like $40,000 or something like that. Um, but nonetheless, even though it wasn't the most financially lucrative job. I was learning so much, you know, like a lot of people pay to go to graduate school. I ended up getting a small salary to work for this company to, which enabled me to learn from the best of the best storytellers, journalists in the field. And it was just an incredible gift and opportunity. But then after I left that job, I was, so I didn't really have the sort of post-college career anxiety that I think a lot of people have. Yeah. because I had this amazing job. This was like a very sort of cushy pillow, you know, it was like a it was like landing on a pillow, basically out of college, when most people are like, well, what do I do next? You know, after I've just, you know, either spent all this money to get my degree or I've gone into such crazy debt to get my degree. I don't really, you know, I was very lucky in that I didn't I didn't really experience that. But I actually did and I deferred it because when I left that job um, six years in, I was about 27, 28 I found it very difficult to transition to a job that was similar to that, mm. you know, crazy unique um, experience that I had. And so for me, the struggle was turning this incredible job that I had that I really thought, you know, in, in the back of my head, I was like, I could do this forever. Turning that into a career was a huge struggle for me. At least at the time I was feeling very sort of existentially, like I didn't know what to do next. And in fact, that was a really difficult time for me. Career wise, I, I, I had signed at some point to like a major talent agency and they dropped me because I just wasn't, I wasn't, um, I didn't fit the mold for like what a TV host was in Hollywood at that time. Like I wasn't really interested in politics. I wasn't interested in entertainment journalism. I wasn't interested in hosting music shows. Um, and so that sort of like post-college existential anxiety I had when I was like 28, 29. And then at that same time in my personal life, my mom got sick. And so it was like this convergence of, you know, feeling like I all of a sudden had no real career prospects, and I was in my late twenties, um, and I was starting to feel like, you know, like these 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 really negative like terms would enter my head. Like I started to to think of myself as being unemployable because I was twenty eight and I had this like really specific skill set hosting like being on camera and producing content for this real unique TV network that I was unable to, you know, transition into another job. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't really worked in the corporate world, so I was like, who's going to employ me? Like, what am I going to do, you know, if I can't get another TV job? And And then my mom getting sick was really the, you know, I mean, that was like the crux of just sort of, if I had to like look back at my late 20s, um, Coming to terms with the fact that my mom had an incurable neurodegenerative condition uh, Really was like the probably the most traumatic thing that I ever experienced in my life And that started that that kind of came to a head At the exact same time as I was undergoing all this sort of like career um, uh, Turmoil And yeah so that that was like probably the lowest I'd ever been um, In my late 20s and then from that somehow came all this other stuff, you know.
1: It seems funny because for me, I feel like my, the way my career is going, it's came from uh, in my own way an existential crisis of like, what am I doing? And it's I I admire that and seeing you how that kind of like, really fueled what you would do for the next chapter, going through uh, that early part with that job that you said you loved. What was the thought process? Was yeah. it like, is this is just a job or was this something that you thought would be kind of it?
0: No, I mean, it's, uh, I had a real taste of Hollywood, like the ups and the downs and the downs, you know, it's, um, when you're riding that sort of wave of having like all the cameras on you and the spotlight, um, even though like I (laughs) I wasn't, I wasn't famous, but I was on TV. So when you're young and you're on TV and you live in Hollywood, um, especially when you get to say things like I work for Al Gore and, you know, you start to get a little bit of press, under your belt, um, you start getting a lot of attention from people and it's like, there's that, that old adage, like in Hollywood people, you know, it's like, what have you, it's not just like, what can you do for me? It's like, what have you done for me lately? Kind of, kind of vibe. And, and when you're young, I mean, you have that sort of millennial, I don't know, it's not even the millennial thing, but it's, you know, just young people in general, you, you tend to feel invincible, right? Just about your health, about everything. You feel like, you know, the summer is going to last forever. It's that 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 quintessential feeling of like, you know, I've got nothing to worry about. Like this, you know, what? how I am now is going to be how I am forever. And yeah. that's just not ever true, right? Yeah. That's just like never true. And I had the unfortunate um, experience of feeling that way about my job, <laughs> which didn't last forever mm. um but at the time i felt like it was amazing it was like it was an incredible i was riding high on it i felt like i was on tv i had somehow escaped the rat race that you know everybody else um is a part of and and i didn't i had basically just deferred it wow. i had deferred it to like my late 20s wow. <laughs> as opposed to my early 20s
1: <laughs> so what happened what happened to your mom that kind of fueled all of all of this this chapter that we're in right now
0: so my so while I was living in LA doing this TV thing I would talk to my mom all the time every other day pretty much I would call home because I'm I've been the I was the closest to my mom in my family but you know aside from that I've just been always like in general very close to my mom. Yeah. Um and so you know we would have we would talk I would ask her for career advice I would ask her for relationship advice and at a certain point she started to complain of having experienced brain fog, which is not something that I had ever heard of. And I'd never experienced it. I didn't even have a framework to understand what it was that she was talking about. Um, and so on the, you know, living in LA, hosting a daily TV show, I didn't actually get to go back to New York, which is where I'm from and where my mom lived very often. I would get to go like two or three times a year. But, um, at a certain point, when that when my job was sort of starting to like loosen up, and I knew that the end was nigh, I started to spend more, more and more time in New York City, and this was about 2010, um, early 2011. And my mom would just complain of this like l- just generalized, uh, you know, cognitive fog, like this br- this brain fog. And me and my brothers, my brothers were living in New York at the time, also started to observe these like interesting shifts in the way my mom would respond to questions, to um, gestures, uh, and in tandem with that, she also sort of had a change to the way that she would walk. So, mm-hmm. you know, like it's pretty easy to, to walk, like walking is one of the most basic things that a human being does, right? Um, but f- at, a, at a certain point, what was what had typical what what had been in the past just a typical like stride her stride kind of like shortened and it started to look more like a shuffle and we even we were so ignorant me and my brothers we would kind of like poke fun at my mom not with like malicious intent but we you know in the back of our heads we thought that my mom was like either not you know like like being being forthcoming with us about what she was experiencing or that she was just you know making it up um and this was just a part of a part of the learning process especially for somebody who you know for for a family that had no prior history of any type of neurodegenerative anything and so it became increasingly worrying and at a certain point um, it all came to a head I remember we were in miami the family, my, my mom and my, and my dad had separated when I turned 18, but, um, they had always sort of had like an amicable relationship, even post divorce. And my dad was living in, in Florida and me and my brothers and my mom were in New York and we decided to take a family trip down to Florida to be with my dad and, you know, and to just have like a family vacation. And I remember we were all in my dad's living room. Um, my dad has like this big island in his kitchen and it's connected to the living room. And my brothers were sitting on the couch, my dad was sitting on the couch. I was sort of standing around the island and my mom was behind the island, uh, you know, in the, in the kitchen sort of facing out. And she started, we were, for some reason the conversation came up, my mom started talking about the fact that she was having brain fog and that she was seeing doctors, but you know, they couldn't really give her a clear answer. And my dad kind of mockingly, because um, my dad kind of has that sense of humor. He's not the most sensitive guy. He mockingly, you know, asked my mom. He prodded and asked if you if you're having memory problems. Well, then what year is it? And my mom couldn't recall the year. And we were like, Come on, mom! How could you not? How could you not know the year? We started basically making fun of her, you know. And it was it was just so painful in in, in hindsight. But we just we had. I don't I don't blame you know the our, our disbelief because we just, we had no framework, you know, we were so in the dark and so we were prodding and prodding. And finally my mom broke down and began to cry. She was struggling to, to, I mean, it was such a, such a struggle just to recall what year it was. Um, and when she started crying, that for me was the moment that like everything stopped. It was like the, you know, the record scratch, like the record stopping sound effect in a movie like that for me was the moment where I realized that, um that i had to sort of intervene i had to step in and and understand what was going on with my mom because my mom you know nobody in my family was ever in medicine nobody was a scientist my fam, my mom and dad were just hard-working jews from new york like entrepreneurs you know they were they worked in the garment center they didn't they knew about like money and things like that but they didn't know anything about health <clears throat> and uh and me, I'd always had a, a passion for health and fitness and nutrition. And actually, when I started college, I was um, a pre-med major. So I ended up transitioning to film and psychology. But I was so passionate about health and nutrition that I was gonna. I thought that for a time there was a uh, there was a moment where I thought I was gonna be like the first doctor in uh, in the Lugovier family. And I ended up not not going down that path. But I'd always had this like this aptitude for understanding science. And um and given that. And the relationship that I had with my mom from one day to the next I just you know rolled up my sleeves and I started going with my mom to every doctor's appointment I started you know just diligently religiously almost researching and reading and and that was the moment it was it was probably mid 2000 yeah it was about summer 2011 where everything else basically became background noise and I just started to focus full-time on health
1: man my, I resonate because my mom and I are very close, and it's always been that way. And she's almost 60, like I shared before the show. And, uh, yeah, it, it's interesting to hear because it sounds like you took your journalist career and just applied that to kind of this new topic of, of health and wellness, and especially in regards to your mom. Like, journalism is essentially finding the truth.
0: A thousand percent.
1: What was the truth you were trying to find, and what was the – like? I'm I'm sharing I'm sharing this podcast with my mom. <laughs> what did what was the truth you were trying to find and what would you start to kind of uncover?
0: Well, I just didn't like the feeling of being in the dark and yeah. I didn't like the feeling that um I didn't like I didn't like knowing deep down that my mom was in the dark. You know, so it was this confluence of me wanting to know everything that I could in part for my own just edification, you know, for my own just not being such an ignorant idiot, you know, after me and my brothers were laughing at my mom, you know. Like, I wanted to know exactly what was going on. And I also wanted to be able to inform my family because nobody else was going to be that person in my family. And at a certain point, I heard, you know, the the phrase, and I don't know where it originates from, but if you're the only person that can do something, then you have to do it. And I was the only person that, that could really, I just, I just knew that I was the the only person that could like go with my mom, sit in these doctor's appointments, ask questions like a, like a journalist, like yeah. a scientist, you know, um, because oftentimes when you're the patient, you're scared, you're anxious, you don't, you know, you don't know what to ask necessarily. You ask questions that are, that are motivated out of fear.
1: Yeah. So fogged by emotion. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, um, and yeah, so I just wanted to be—I wanted to be the best possible advocate for my mom that I could be, um, and I knew that to be that person, I had to know everything. I almost had to become a doctor, mm. and you know, I'm not a medical doctor, but I—I I just want you know, I found that there was no barrier to me. Like I—I—I I, I was a child. I'm—I am a child of the internet, right? I was like, I have access to the world's knowledge at my fingertips 24 hours a day, you know, I'm not going to understand everything that I'm reading, but if I just read enough and I read and I, and I, and if I cross reference and I ask the right questions and, and I, you know, approach the topic from a, from a place of, you know, of just curiosity and questioning and not acting like I know all the answers, even when I think I know an answer to always be really weary of my, you know, my own biases and, Hmm. um, and yeah, and so I just, that was it. That's how it all began. I had I had no intention of ever uh, making a living off of doing health or talking about health content or anything like that. I mean, it really just came out of the fact that at a certain point I started sharing what I was learning and, and I started to notice that people, that I was fulfilling a need for people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't, you know, it certainly didn't like, if you would have asked me back then, if you would have, if you would have told me back then that one day in the not too distant future you're gonna write a book and it's actually gonna help you know thousands of people all around the world, I would have thought that you were like just totally pulling the chain, you know? Yeah. But um.
1: Yeah, that's insane. There's so many questions I want to ask. From that, uh, I guess you saying that makes me want to ask like, what advice would you give yourself at that start of your career? Uh, before kind of the mom stuff came up, hmm. like not no, you know, it sounds like you were kind of just going with this air of I'm on TV. It's pretty sick. Hmm. Um, what, what what might you have told yourself? I was I, that early career existential crisis. I kind of lived there. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I've been in my career for a while now, but um, yeah, there's so much uncertainty all the time, and I think a lot of the people in my my little ecosystem. Yeah, are in that early stage of their career. What advice would you have given yourself then?
0: Well, I would. So I love, I love this question. Um, I had a lot of existential angst. I was there was there were moments where I was probably the most depressed I'd ever been. Um, but in the back of my head, I had the fortitude to to be able to tell myself in those moments to trust my talent you know, trust whatever it is that led to this stroke of lightning, you know, that ended up with me getting a freaking TV show that I didn't know what the future held. I didn't know what my next job looked like. I didn't know whether I was going to be, you know, an author or an editor or a producer, or if I was going to go back to school and maybe get that medical degree. I had no idea. But what I knew was that there was a compass in me that, in my best moments, despite any, you know, fear or anxiety about following it, I took risks and I followed it. Mm. And that in doing so, it led to great things. And, you know, when you have a compass, you don't know where the compass is leading you. All you have is that it keeps you in the present, right? Because all you have is the freaking direction signal, right? And you just, that's all you have to go on, but you have to follow that compass, whatever whatever it tells you. And the other thing that I would tell myself, which I, um, which I, which I'm very, you know, glad that I was able to do, and you know, there's a bit of privilege I think that comes with with um, my circumstances because I was born and raised and and got to live in New York City, which is a big city. There's a lot of opportunity there, but you have to remain in following your compass. You have to kind of make sure that the environment around you is fertile, so that, um, so that when you have so, just so that it, you know, because your ideas are not, you don't come up with ideas in in isolation, right? Your ideas emerge from, you know the the sort of dance that you and your um, experience and your skills and your talents and your curiosities and your passions basically interact how how all of those aspects of you interact with the environment. So you have to make sure that you are, sort of engineering your environment so that it can bring about your best self and your best ideas and your best insights. Mm. And for me, you know, what I think, what I think really kind of helps is to on, you know, is to, for one, say yes to things, you know, always remain open and to kind of curate your environment to, um, to allow for openness and to allow for opportunities to present themselves to you. And so for me, you know, I was living in New York City, which is a city where there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of sort of molecular, you know, like stuff going on. Like, um, it's just, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of chaos, but in that, in that chaos, you kind of, you know, following your compass amid that chaos just allows for a lot of ideas to emerge. Um, and same with LA, you know? Maybe this is sort of my way of convincing you not to move out of LA. <laughs> what is
1: a what is a sign you've kind of cultivated your your foundation in the right way so that ideas can come through? Like what are what are some signs that you've actually done that? Well, to make space some to be signs. able to fall. You know what I mean? Like yeah. what are some indicators that you would recommend?
0: Well, I think I think you st- you start to have like a lot of like different ideas and not every idea is a good idea, but you just tend to have more ideas. Like if I'm sitting home all day moping and and like surfing well the internet's not really a good example because i have you can generate lots of ideas looking around on the internet um but 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 i think like you just you, you tend to have a lot of ideas not all of them are good some of them you know if you some of them will f- you know you'll fail if you pursue some of them yeah um but then others i think are generally really good like you're bound to land on something that that works and takes off um you know, the more ideas you have, it's like literally a numbers game. It's like throwing things, it's like throwing stuff up against a wall to see to see what sticks. Mm. I know that when I'm just sitting around my, you know, my house, I don't have novel thoughts as much as when I'm outside talking to people, having conversations. Mm. Um,
1: novel thoughts, that's a really good uh, yeah. indication,
0: yeah. Yeah, because you know what it is? Like, there's something about being home. There's an author that I really love. His name is Alain de Botton. And I don't know what book he talks about this in. I think it might be. actually, I do. I think it's, I think his book is, it's the art of travel. It's a really great book. Mm. And in the context of he talks about how travel is so important for the human psyche and the creative spirit, because when you're stagnant and you're just sitting around your house like, nothing changes in your house, right? Like, the furniture doesn't change. So it has this subconscious way of mm. making you feel like you can't change, you know? On the flip side of that, novel experiences, novel scenery, novel inputs can help you generate novel thoughts, mm. right? Novel environments can help you generate novel thoughts.
1: It's crazy because... Uh... I said, like, what kind of started my career was an existential post-career or post-college what am I doing with my career, like, situation. I didn't know what I was going to do. Completely felt lost and without direction. I felt like school was telling me, just keep doing this, keep doing this, keep doing this, and then by the end of it, you'll have your shit together. And so I kind of was like, okay, like, this doesn't feel right, but I think I'll just keep going and eventually it'll make sense, and it never did. Um, and that's why I'm really like into this kind of information in terms of finding direction because of that just complete feeling like lost and there was no options for me. And I just had the chills as you said that, cause it was traveling that, that all changed. I went, I didn't know what I was going to do with myself. And after college, I just went and traveled. And for three months just had no plan, no idea what I was doing. And the novelty, I came back like a completely different person, like, charged Uh, just charged and and that (laughs) what's so cool about you man it's like you have this scientific brain and i've i'm fascinated by how you kind of do what you do but then what also fascinated me is the paradox of that in that you're talking about finding direction through following your own compass that's something that in this early part of my journey is so important to me um and traveling was the first thing that was like, oh, I can feel this like compass within me kind of pointing me in different ways. And this novelty is making me think in new ways and all this external stimuli that's different. Now I kind of have a better relationship with myself because everything's different except myself, if that makes sense. So, I mean, where else in your life has that, that internal guidance, that following that compass kind of been like a, I needed that.
0: Oh man, uh, dude, well, so many things i think also when i was your age um so i don't know if if yeah you do know this i used to well, i I play music yeah but there was a time when i really was more gung-ho i guess about about pursuing it Mm -hmm. um and this was primarily in my in my mid-20s i really loved to play music and i i was kind of moonlighting while i had that that job on tv you know, in the evenings I was practicing guitar and practicing singing and writing songs. And ultimately I started to like play out in Los Angeles and I'm super grateful that I, that I got to do that. It was an amazing period for me. I still look back and I'm like, I can't believe I had the cojones to do that, you know, to like get up on stage and play out in LA where there's like so many incredibly talented people. Right. That are, that are struggling to, to make it in music. Right. And I was like, listen to me. Um, but, uh, But at a certain point, I realized that like I had all these other passions and to make it in music, you know, you can't, and to make it really in any sort of artistic field where it's just so competitive and there's so much talent, you really can't have a plan B. The minute you have a plan B is the minute somebody else is going to surpass you. Um, and I think that's true for all of my successful musician friends, you know, that's that they, that's the only thing that they've ever wanted to do. They've never wavered from that. Um, at, at some point I read a, a fortune cookie, (laughs) I know it sounds silly, but I read a fortune cookie and it had this amazing saying this, this amazing quote, um, from, I believe it was like Confucius or something. I don't know who knows if Confucius actually said this, but the quote was a person who chases two rabbits catches neither. And at that point I was chasing a few different rabbits. I was like chasing music as a, as a potential career. I was doing my TV hosting thing. Um, and, and sort of like around that same time is also when there was definitely a bit of overlap when I was experiencing this with my mom and I was like, well, I don't want to do any of this other stuff now. I just want to talk about health. And so there were like all these different rabbits sort of in my, in my field of vision. And I was at a certain point trying to chase all of them. I was like, well, how do I hold on to this this dream, you know, job scenario where I get to be on TV and I get to talk about what I want and I get to get paid for it. But at the same time, I want to be a singer songwriter. Like I just love being on stage and I want to, you know, like record music and there's that. But then, you know, and that's like my, my career stuff. But then like, you know, I'm, I'm going through this with my mom. Like it really, you know, it's, it's more substantial and it's, it's ultimately, you know, what I'm you know, what I'm, I'm finding myself starting to like think about all the time, you know, which is like health and like, how do I, like, how do I be successful in all of these three things? And what I realized is that you can't, you know, you can do anything you want. You just can't do everything, you know, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. And so I had to pick the rabbit that I wanted to chase. And I knew that, um, health and science communication was going to be that rabbit. And then if I focused on that, on that rabbit, I would catch it rather than trying to catch all three rabbits. And so that's sort of a a roundabout way of saying, um, you really have to kind of focus on the one thing that you want to do. And if you don't yet know what that is, that's totally okay. The best thing that you could do if you haven't yet picked the one thing is to make sure that you have rabbits, Mm -hmm. you know? So like you can't chase rabbits. If you have no rabbits, you need to have the rabbits, I guess is what I would say. Um, and some people, that's a, I guess an issue for some people, they don't have the rabbits. Like they don't know exactly what they're passionate about. I've never really had that problem because I've been been—I've been lucky in that I've been, I'm, I'm a passionate person. So, um, you know, music, TV hosting, I just like loved all those different things. So I, I had a, a sort of pack of rabbits. And then for me, the challenge was really kind of like being able to, um, bid adieu to the rabbits that i you know that i didn't want to chase necessarily and to focus on the one rabbit that i did want to chase
1: i so resonate with that i've heard you talk about that i forgot where but it resonated so much that i wrote it down in my journal and i like that's a thought that has come back to me a lot is he who chases two rabbits catches neither i i've fallen into the bucket that i have a lot of rabbits uh
0: <laughs> what are your rabbits
1: you know, I like the podcasting. I like the video creation. I like my writing. I like, I have all these other ideas. Uh, but I'm tr- I, I'm trusting that I'm kind of like s- just still investing more time into each rabbit and seeing which one is the one that both kind of lights me up, like the the science was doing for you. And then which one do I actually think I can catch? So I'm yeah, still in that like taking data phase.
0: Well. I mean, you described rabbits. I mean, those are certainly rabbits, but they're also skills that can be kind of funneled mm. into mm. the one thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, yeah. Now that I do, here's what's so amazing about like, about, about like f- me deciding to chase that one rabbit is that now all of those, those skills that I had amassed over my, over my life, really are now useful day-to-day in everything that I do. Like the video, like hosting, being on camera, you know, like I do that now, you know, regularly. I have created my own TV show with your help, of course. Um, Writing, you know, I write, I get to write uh, professionally. I get to sort of have a little bit of that Hollywood kind of energy that I certainly enjoyed feeding off of for all the years that I had my own TV show because I'm, Mm. you know, I've kind of been able to, become a public figure, but, but to me, it's all been a very natural, it's, it's literally just like all of my skills have kind of like rolled into what it is that I'm currently doing because of course they have, you know, it's like, you're ultimately going to get to do all the things that you want to do. If you kind of just focus. On that one thing you know because as that one thing grows then you're able to bring into into the fold all of the all of the skills that you're able to offer mm. yeah to it's it. like
1: trusting the unfoldment that all these kind of sub skills will become one thing and yeah and I mean it, it's so easy to want to reverse engineer this perfect career yeah you know like alright these are all my skills let me like think of what and I, I'm sure from your perspective that's almost not doable like you, you wouldn't have been able to say like how can I take my writing interest in my my in my skill set of being on camera and educating my my researching how can i make this like a perfect career like um i imagine that would have been difficult to do
0: totally like it makes perfect sense in hindsight but it would have made no sense like looking forward you know it doesn't you can't ever predict it but when you're there and you look back you're like of course of course that's how it worked out
1: what do you say to maybe a, a a past Max, and that could be for either of us, <laughs> uh, that had trouble kind of like surrendering to the unfoldment of what was becoming in his career. I ask you these career-specific questions because I, I do so admire how authentic your career is. And uh, it's, it is a rare thing. And I think it's something that we're all striving for, especially now. Um, so there's a lot to unpack there.
0: Yeah. I mean... Yeah, it's just funny because like there were there were definitely moments where I was like s- you know super depressed, didn't know where where the fuck mm. I was going to go. Um you know, I was I literally was like I would lose sleep wondering whether or not I was wasting my time by not enrolling in a, you know, college program to prepare me to take the MCATs, you know, to go to med school. Like I was um I I didn't know and I was like, wow. I, you know, I would, I would think, I would wonder whether or not I was like a failure. Um, just all, just all kinds of crazy negative, negative self-talk.
1: And that's so common now with social media. Everybody can look at that person who's ten years ahead of them, and amidst trying to figure it out, there's it's so easy to fall into that.
0: Yeah, and it's also, you never actually feel like you you arrive, like. I definitely don't feel that way like I just you know I, I feel like I'm still like at the big at the beginning of my journey like whatever you know yeah like I I look at you know other big podcasts and I'm like why isn't you know how do I like what do I need to do to get my podcast that you know there wow. so you never you never feel like like you you arrive but at least I feel like I have at this point like like I have a lane you know, mm-hmm. and not only do I have like a lane, but I have the added bit of, you know, maybe it's illusory, but I feel like I have like a bit of safety, which is nice, which I didn't have in the past. You know, like it almost feels like guardrails. Like within my lane, I'm able to kind of experiment and take risks and try things. And sometimes, you know, even, even now, like I'll do things and, you know, they don't necessarily always succeed, you know, and it, this happens on the micro scale too. like sometimes I'll post about something that's a little out of my wheelhouse on on Instagram and I'll lose a thousand followers. But I'm like, I'm just, you know, trying. I'm just like pushing all the buttons. Right. Yeah. You got you to push all the buttons. Hmm. Um, and so.
1: Before one finds that lane, what would you say? Yeah.
0: Before before one finds the lane
1: because i imagine like time helps too you know you you, like i said like data accrues over time and i'm starting to find out like okay who is who am i and what do i like and what am i good at and these skills need time to develop yeah but in that there's a lot of uncertainty you said you had a lot of nights staying up questioning if you're doing the right thing this fear of am i doing the right thing Uh, i think is so prominent with me and so many people i talk to like what would you say to yourself in those, in those stages?
0: Yeah. Well, I would say, (laughs) I would definitely say, take it, take it easy on yourself. Um, you know, don't worry so much. Uh, things are going to work out, you know, it's not necessarily going to be clear how to you, but you're going to get to a point where looking back, it's all going to have made perfect sense. Yeah. Um, but, but really I would say like, just don't, Freaking worry so much You know I worried a lot I got I was You know Depressed I would You know As I mentioned Like I uh, There I was Having like An existential crisis um, You know And uh, And I would say Like don't worry You know what, Whatever Whatever The universe like you have to trust the timing of the universe and whatever it is that you're meant to do You're gonna find it so long as you aren't sitting on your couch and playing video games all the time and you know You're putting yourself out there. You're saying yes to things you're surrounding yourself with good people um, Which you definitely do uh, And which which I intuitively have always done. I've never wanted to be the smartest person in the room you know, i've always surrounded myself with people who um, I could learn from and who inspire me Um, and 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 actually, I, I made an effort to kind of like spend a little bit, not cut them out of my life, but spend a little bit less time with like my college buddies who weren't all that inspiring, who weren't really doing things in their life as big as the kinds of things that I wanted to do, you know? Mm. I mean, I have friends that are, that are doing, you know, like they're not necessarily doing the same thing that I'm doing. You know, they don't have to be, it doesn't have to be like about financial success or totally. about, you know, the number of followers or anything like that. But you have to have like, vision. You know, I really admire people that have vision and, um, and whether or not you have that lane or you figured out what that lane is for you, you can still have vision, yeah. you know, and your vision might be that you are meant for something, you know, that, that, that's bigger than, than just sitting at a desk from nine to five, working for somebody else. Yeah, Like that's enough, I think, because then what you're going to do is you're going to surround yourself with people who also feel that way about themselves and who are out there like feeling out the waters and um, pushing the boundaries uh, of their own capabilities. And that's going to inspire you to do the same in your life.
1: Mm. Yeah, that enthusiasm is infectious. I've found that. And uh, you talk about trusting the timing of the universe. And I love when I hear these glimpses of you that are so... uh... Again, it's this paradox that I, I really enjoy about you because it's the world sees the scientific side of you so often. The journalist, I've heard you say in past podcasts how you kind of used to have, you know, you studied psychology, you used to have this almost esoteric uh, view of things, and and almost like you were fascinated by things of like the spiritual context. Yeah, how does that still play into your life now?
0: Um, I de- I went through a phase in uh in in college probably late high school where I was very interested in spirituality and philosophy. And um, and this is, you know, cause I grew up not in a religious household, but um, but you know, I, I had parents, my, my mom particularly pushed me to kind of be be more <laughs> devout. And I was just never, ever into it. Like to me, just organized religion was just, has always been yeah. the opiate to the masses. And I was like, that's not me. Um, and so I, I gravitated to like more esoteric forms of spirituality like Eastern mysticism and, um, and just, you know, just this idea that truth is, like truth can never be sort of handed down, right? Truth is something that like you have to discover for yourself. Um, you know, it's almost like when you have that friend who uh, Never listens to your advice, you know. You kind of almost have to make them feel like they've had the idea for themselves, and that's <laughs> when they start to, to to practice or whatever. You know, you've got to like kind of like lead them, like give yeah. them breadcrumbs. It has to come from within. Has right? to come from within. Well, it's the same thing with like anything, and especially in my view, spiritual truth. And so I went through a phase where that was like my, mm. um, that was like what I was like most interested in to so like really kind of like crystallizing my views about yeah. my place in the universe and and uh and yeah i don't have that sort of chip on my shoulder i think anymore it's not you know i've i've kind of like like i know what i believe and how i feel and 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 a lot of that's been sort of influenced by um what i went through with my mom and mm-hmm. and and all that stuff um but these days you know i just i really feel like you know, we have this vessel and I'm not all that concerned with what comes after it. Um, I really just, I'm so passionate about, um, doing what you can to preserve it while you've got it and to, you know, to, to maximize your quality of life, um, and the quality of life of your loved ones while you're here. Uh, because you know i just I, there are no guarantees as to what comes next and uh and i think life is too precious to to waste you know to like to write off as being this sort of intermediary step to something else mm. and i think i've been obviously my experience my my views are colored by the fact that um i lost the most important person you know in my life to sickness and to disease and so i kind of like you know, I, I view things I think a little bit differently, but, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, I'm still sp- I'm still spiritual. I still have you know, like I still, you know, I have thoughts that are that that are like, you know, I mean, I, I know that we're only seeing a narrow part of the 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 you know the visible light spectrum. You know, yeah. we're only seeing like a slice of that, and so there's obviously more more out there. Um, but that doesn't really knowing that doesn't really sway my day to day, uh, mm. you know, activities.
1: You said you're most passionate about protecting this vessel. And I would, uh, I would kick myself if I didn't ask you some questions cause I got a, <laughs> I got an expert in here. <laughs> so, um, we're talk you, you kind of dove in after everything that happened with your mom, you became kind of like a, a journalist and a, like trying to find the science to like what's actually going on with our brains. Yeah. Um, In terms of food, you you were talking about what you kind of did with genius foods initially was kind of uh, Alzheimer's prevention, kind of trying to prevent cognitive decline. Is that right? Yeah. What were some of those, you know, big pillars that uh, you kind of brought to the world and that people really gravitated to with with genius foods, like in in terms of the foods we actually put in our body to kind of keep our mind sharp?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, genius foods basically it talks about a number of different topics, but primarily, you know, what you want to do is you want to minimize your consumption of, you know, industrially produced ultra processed foods because industry doesn't really care about your health. Um, it really doesn't, you know, but like the food industry pumps out these hyper palatable, you know, shelf stable, Cheaply produced, packaged, processed foods to maximize profit margin, and these foods, what they do is they they drive overconsumption. It's one of the reasons why so many of us are struggling with with our weight, right? But it's also leading to problems below the surface, like chronically elevated blood sugar, chronically elevated insulin, um, ultimately high blood pressure. You know, a lot of these foods are actually 71% would, cause I'm writing about this now for, for a new project, 71% of, this, of the dietary sodium that we consume, doesn't come from like when we're cooking our food or even adding salt to our food, you know, from our salt, salt shakers, it comes from ultra processed foods and, and restaurant foods. So it's like ultra processed foods really are the problem. Um, and generally uh, they're made of refined grains, um, you know, wheat and corn and rice and things like that, these, these, these grains are really energy dense, but nutrient poor. And we're in tandem with the fact that we're seeing so many of us struggling with, with our weight, we're seeing widespread nutrient deficiencies. So 90% of people are deficient in at least one essential nutrient, which your, your body and brain need to basically protect themselves, um, against the wear and tear of aging. So we we require minerals and um, vitamins to basically basically protect ourselves, like at the biochemical level, and we're not getting what we need from our food because they've been ultra-processed and because they're made primarily of these nutrient-poor plants, wheat, corn, and rice, right? so so there's that, the fact that like now 60% of the calories that we consume come from these packaged foods. So you want to do what you can to minimize your consumption of those foods. And then what I call the genius foods are foods that really are the antithesis to those ultra processed foods. They're foods that, you know, most people will find access to in their supermarkets that give your brain the nutrients that it requires to not just sort of act like a, a shield against environmental toxins to... Um, Inflammation and oxidative stress and things like that, but that give your brain the raw material and and body the raw materials that it needs to create like new, you know, new cells. Um, We now know that the process of neurogenesis occurs in the adult brain up until death, which is neurogenesis, basically the creation of new brain cells. For a while, it was thought that your brain was um, basically complete at around your age, actually, only to begin like a slow, gradual decline, you know, until the end of life, right? And you can only accelerate that process by Mm -hmm. like, you know, drinking alcohol, taking drugs, things like that, like, but that's it. You couldn't grow new brain cells. Um, Which is sad because like, we all wanna be able to improve our brains, how our brains work, right? No matter what, you know, what age we happen to be at. But now we know that you actually can grow new brain cells Particularly in the brain's memory center, the, hip, the hippocampus, mm. up until death, and in doing so, your brain requires the raw materials to do that, right? Like you can't build a house without having like wood and bricks and cement and, and stuff like that, and those those building materials come from our food. Mm. So, um, so so basically, I've called them genius foods, and they, you know, just to list a few of them, um, wild fatty. Fish like uh, salmon, sardines, mackerel, um, things like that. Incredible sources of, of the types of fats that your brain literally uses to, to create new brain cells. Um, avocados. Avocados are amazing. They're you know rich in the kinds of antioxidants specifically that protect fatty structures in your body, and your brain is, is the most fatty structure. Your brain is primarily composed of fat. So when you eat avocados, you're basically giving your brain... Um, like like a defense mechanism against the stresses of the modern world. Um, grass-fed beef, I'm a huge fan of grass-fed beef. There's a lot of misconception about red meat, I think, out there. Uh, it's an incredibly nutrient-dense food. It's packed with vitamin E with, um, I mean, it's an amazing source of protein. There's tons and tons of minerals in grass-fed beef. Um, dark leafy greens. So research out of Russia University shows that people who eat a big bowl of dark leafy greens every day have brains that perform up to 11 years younger. Damn. Yeah. So a big salad. What does that look like? It's like a big, you know, eat a salad every day. I try to do that. If I'm not eating a salad, it's fine. You can eat roasted vegetables. You can, you know, eat like it, it doesn't actually have to be a salad. Um, you could saute your kale, you can eat, you know, like sauteed spinach or whatever, but generally like veggies are good. And, um, and it's, eating a big salad every day basically guarantees that you're, you're getting all kinds of important protector molecules. You're, you know, getting a good source of dietary fiber. It's satiating. So it's going to help potentially, you know, maintain, uh, you know, a healthy weight. Um, so, you know, big fatty yeah. salad every day is sort of what I, you know, one of the one of the sort of hallmark recommendations that I make.
1: Yeah, there's so much we we could go in, but uh, definitely people should just read your books too because they're just so dense and so it's so important. What you said to start that was industry standard, just is kind of shit. You know, yeah. we, we grew up gr- eat grains; they're good for you. All these things, and what you're saying is kind of the op- opposite of that. Um, with everything going. I I resonate with that because so many times in my life, I felt like what was what was normal, quote unquote, normal for me, just was horrible advice. And I found that to be the case in many aspects of my life. And that kind of put me down this path of finding alternate means of educating myself. Um, it's what got me into kind of the personal development space. It's what got me interested in people like you with the times we're in now because of, uh, you know, with COVID and everything, I'm not asking for like a specific what's your view on it, but I'm quick to kind of question what's going on and kind of do my own research. Um, It's great. And, you know, not take what is quote unquote normal advice too serious until I've done my own research. What are some do's and don'ts for you in terms of, like, I think this is super important now. What are some things you would recommend for people in terms of like finding their own truth?
0: Yeah, just always be skeptical, you know, like I think like that's literally what scientists have to get paid to do is to be their like professional skeptics. Um we don't see enough of that in the journalism space sadly. Um but but yeah, to always be willing to challenge your assumptions, your biases to maintain sort of like a beginner's mind about things. Yeah. Um, To acknowledge, you know, what it is that you uh, That you don't know, you know to be able to to be willing to say I don't know when you don't know things Um, I think it's important to be aware of what's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Are you familiar with that? Mm -hmm. So the Dunning-Kruger effect is basically so we we all have like there's myriad cognitive biases that we all hold There's like confirmation bias. There's authority bias Um, you know, like the authority bias, for example, like just because somebody has a lot of credentials after their name name, does not necessarily mean that they're telling you the truth or, you know, or, or Hmm. that they know what they're talking about. Even, um, there's a higher probability, obviously that they do know what they're talking about. Um, but, uh, but so basically the Dunning-Kruger effect is super interesting, something that, that more people need to know about. But basically the less you know about a given topic, the more you think you know. And the more you actually know about a topic, um, the less you think you know. Mm. So it's one of the reasons why true experts in a given topic, they're very quick to point out what they don't know. And... Um, and they always tend to be more reserved when, when responding to a question about their, about their, the topic of their expertise. Um, but the Dunning-Kruger effect is also why we have so many armchair experts on social media these days, because people with a relatively narrow scope of knowledge, um, tend to actually feel, uh, unduly confident about their knowledge, which they don't actually have. So, that's why you always have to remain, um, sort of open and skeptical even of your own beliefs about things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the more knowledge you, you amass, the more, you know, you ultimately will gain confidence about your knowledge. Um, but it's just an interesting, there's like an interesting just sort of slope of the curve where, uh, (laughs) it's this irony that the little, you you know, the less you know about a given topic, the more confident you are in your own knowledge, which, um, which is a you know something that we all that we all embody.
1: Yeah. So just question kind of where you're coming from and where your biases might be. And
0: yeah, um, yeah. And going back to the going back to the authority bias. I mean, and and what we talked about earlier, like yeah, the ind- food industry, government, government dietary recommendations, even our own doctors. I mean, there's so much misinformation out there, and I really feel for people because there's there is no really great answer in terms of how to get the best information and to use the best information to inform our choices like i would say everybody should follow me but like there are things there are some things that i don't know i don't know everything um there's a lot that i don't know and but it's just like i made a a kind of post about this um on social media recently where you know, just taking sodium as an example, like so many people are told by their physicians to like watch the salt, right? Uh, but actually, if you look statistically at the American diet, the number one source of sodium for most people—well, wh- where would you think that that would come from?
1: I mean, didn't you touch on it earlier? Uh, like, can't
0: like processed foods yeah, and things processed like that. Foods, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, the number one—the number one source is actually bread and rolls. Wow. Yeah. So, wow. I mean, bread and, you know, commercially produced bread is a is is completely a processed food. Um, but I think most people would, would assume that it was like canned foods or frozen foods or yeah. um, things like that. It's actually bread and processed rolls. But if you go to your physician, you know, the same physician who's telling you to cut the sodium in your diet, they actually, they'll, you'll never hear them say, you know, stop eating bread.
1: Yeah. Stop eating
0: rolls. Yeah. They, they don't say that. They That's say wild. cut the salt to yeah. cook, cook use less salt in your cooking.
1: And that's like the smallest bit, I bet. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You want to know how much how, what percentage that <laughs> makes up in daily American sodium intake? Tell me. <laughs> 6%. Wow. Yeah. We 6% of the dietary sodium that we ingest comes from the food that we prepare in our kitchens and 5% comes from the salt that we add on with like the salt shaker, you know, like at the table. So in total, it's about 11% of the sodium that we ingest comes from, like the salt that we add to our foods. Wow, seventy one percent comes from processed foods, restaurant foods, and the bulk of that comes from bread and rolls.
1: So that's just a testament to kind of how skewed common information can be. In well, America. nobody knows that. Yeah, yeah no like one
0: knows that. how come how come our physicians aren't like telling us that? Everybody yeah. everybody tends to think that salt, you know, isn't good for it. Yeah, good for you, right? So you know, processed food manufacturers now come out with like these low-salt versions of their food products. And they stamp, you know, they're very quick to stamp a big red heart-healthy logo on the on the front, right? But how come nobody knows that bread and rolls are the number one source of dietary sodium in the American diet? Yeah. And, like, nobody knows that. Yeah.
1: question Questioning is good. Yeah, questioning, questioning is, is good. always good. Um, I want to wrap up. Uh, I want to be cognizant of your time where where are you most excited to send people maybe there's a few people that have never heard of the max Lugavere. they want to go into your work like we we didn't even touch the surface of your work i was more interested in the becoming of you um where can people find more about your work
0: well dude this was a great chat um and i love talking about things that i don't normally talk about so yeah. so it was uh it was actually quite refreshing and um yeah i'm super excited about my podcast it's called the genius life available wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm pretty active on social media, so Instagram, at Max Lugavere. Um, If you just type in M-A-X-L-U-G, you know, like usually it'll come up. And uh, yeah, my books, one is, the first one is called Genius Foods. Um, You'll you'll know more about nutrition um, than 99.999% of doctors um it's like master's level if not if not you know higher uh of like sort of nutritional information but written in a way that's really digestible and fun and um makes things really easy and uh and then my second book that came out this year is called The Genius Life and it's more of a lifestyle guide so if you want to learn about environmental toxins or um circadian biology which is like the relationship that our bodies and brains have with light um that's you know that's the place for you to start, but they're both they're both complementary. You don't have to have read one to read the other, uh, but I find that most people tend to you know they read one they want to get the other one, which so we, is which is cool.
1: I've been uh, helping you out with your podcast, and I love how you wrap up your shows. I'm going to steal your trick. You usually say, "What does a genius life mean to you?" I'm going to say, "My show is called Looking Up." Looking Up. I've never actually asked this question. <laughs> oh man, I love it. When you hear Looking Up, what yeah. do you think?
0: I think um, aspiring to something greater than your current. Circumstances, whatever that happens to be. We can all do that. Um, and I think, you know, looking up you are it's helpful because just visualizing where you want to be, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, a, a picture, perfect articulation of where you want your life to be in the, in the future. But, you know, the more specific you can get about, um, about what you aspire to, the better off that's going to be like being really clear about your goals. Um, wherever you can, you know, offer clarity, I think is super, is super helpful. Um, you know, like back in those early days, I didn't know where my career was going to take me, but I, you know, I, I knew that I, that if I trusted my compass, that it was going to take me someplace where I was going to have, you know, where people were going to be able to hear my voice and, um, and and follow my sensibilities and my, uh, you know my. Whatever what, whatever it was that 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 I wanted to to share. At some point, I knew that I was gonna have a platform because that's what I wanted. I really enjoyed having that, you know, after college. And so I wasn't able to articulate that I was gonna write a book or have a podcast one day. But um, but yeah, but I knew that that it was like it was a platform. And so but in looking up um that's kind of what i saw and that's ultimately what i was able to manifest so i think looking up is powerful
1: i love it i'm gonna start asking that question more i love it (laughs) thank you brother that was awesome of course man i appreciate you man
0: you too likewise
1: That's it. Thank you guys for listening to Looking Up. Once again, I so appreciate you. There's so many podcasts you could be listening to. So the fact that you're here is very special to me. Share this episode with someone who might like it, someone who's maybe finding their way within their career. Maybe they can take some advice from this episode. And uh, if you don't mind, please leave a review on Apple iTunes. That helps my podcast grow. That makes sure that I'm able to continue to get amazing guests like Max on the show. Thank you guys for listening, truly. And Uh, Let me know what you thought of the episode. You can hit me up on Instagram. I love hearing your guys' takeaways. I learned so much from this episode. Um, And try to apply what you learned. You know, wisdom is applied knowledge. So don't let this just be another thing that is giving you information. Let it be wisdom because I really feel like Max brought us a lot of wisdom on this episode. That's it. I love you guys. Thank you for checking out my podcast. Thank you for listening to Looking Up. I will see you guys on the next episode. Peace.